Hello, creators. Save the date for our 2024 Creator Circle Retreat happening September 23rd through 26th in Vancouver, Washington, United States. Registration is open and the early bird deadline is March 15th. The 2024 Creator Circle Retreat will be four days of restoration and rejuvenation for yourself and your business. And you can find all of the details at wellnesscentercreators.com slash retreats, where you can also click to apply. As always, feel free to email with questions anytime at kendall at wellnesscentercreators.com. And lastly, it's important to note that the retreat is limited to 20 people and everyone from last year is getting ready to register again. So jump on it. As health and wellness providers, we know that better patient outcomes require a whole person, multidisciplinary approach that we just can't provide on our own. That's why I've started the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I'll be bringing you interviews with experts, tips, tricks, secrets, resources, systems, and solutions so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And creating your wellness center won't feel like starting over. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free date import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in your Jane subscription. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app slash switch. And if you decide to make the switch, don't forget to use the code wellness1mo at sign up to receive a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Today on the show, we have a returning guest, Josh Satterly, and Josh is going to interview me today. So welcome, Josh. Hey, thanks, Kendall. It's kind of a, a funny, like, Uno reverse card you handed me of like, hey, come on my podcast, but you interview me. Yeah. Oh, my daughter loves the Uno reverse cards. Yeah. I mean, I uh, that that's always a great card game to play at the holidays because it's a little bit faster and easier for everybody, but it's good times. All right. Well, uh, this is great. Cause I'm actually, I have always wanted to interview you. Um, you introduced me to a concept I had never heard before and words. So for the listeners background, I'm a chiropractor. And so I don't come from like a mental health background, but you were the first person that introduced this idea of trauma informed and when I first was introduced to that by you, you were actually using it for your, like the way you interview and hire people. And then later we discussed and you use it to, as your approach to patients. 
so I want to get into a conversation here, but can you, for, for everybody listening, can you just kind of explain what that term means and what, what you think it applies to? And so we're all on the same page. Yeah. Yep. So for any new listeners, um, I, my background is as a mental health counselor, somatic psychotherapist, um, and EMDR trauma therapist. So trauma-informed is a term that is thrown around our community a lot present day mm-hmm. and just trauma in general, mm-hmm. which is great, um, but it's also misused a lot. Um, so... Uh, it's becoming overused. But what I mean by trauma-informed is, and I, and I'll get into this in a minute, but I think it applies to everything in all of our relationships. But what I mean by that term is that we are considering the whole person that we are interacting with and assuming most of the time correctly that they are, of course, coming into this interaction with us with their whole own unique life story, which oftentimes includes trauma experiences and trauma responses. And depending on, you know, where they're at in their journey with that, they might have kind of um, experienced over time compounded trauma and their brain is kind of ready-made at that point to dip into a trauma response if the circumstance is, you know, the right kind of formation. And so uh, that's what I mean by being trauma-informed. And especially when we think about in the workplace as leaders um, and employers, and then, of course, as practitioners, um, this goes across the board that we can adopt this philosophy. Um, And there's lots of ways to do that, but uh, that's generally what I mean. Yeah. It's... It's a, it was different for me and it kind of shaped some of the things I thought of, but it, it reminds me of a story, uh, a friend, a patient of mine who later became kind of a mentor told me she had a large company and when she had about a hundred employees, she decided she was going to do this like little questionnaire with all of them. Like, what do you value the most? What do you wish we had? What do you, um, you know, common stuff that business consultants. And she said, the thing I value the most is personal safety. And what do you wish we had? And she said, I wish we had more clear. How did she say it? The employee said it very strange. Like, I wish we had more clear lines in the office. And so hearing that, my mentor sat down with her and said, okay, what do you mean by clear lines? Are you saying like management structure or like, who do you report to? And she's like, no, uh, we have these cubicles and I just can't see, visually see clear lines through the office. And she said, okay, why does that matter? And the woman admitted that she had been in a very abusive relationship and it made her nervous every time she heard the elevator open and she couldn't see a clear line to the elevator to identify who was getting off it. So to her, every time the elevator doors opened was a distraction. And, you know, at an office building, it happens all day long, right? And so the woman that I was talking to, my my, uh, mentor, allowed that woman to turn her desk and kind of change the way her cubicle was set up and modify some things so that then she was facing the elevator. So when it did go off and she, the response was kind of baked into her, you know, we weren't going to change that part, but she could at least say, Hey, how about I just set up a desk that faces the elevator? You can see who gets off. And then, you know, if you realize it's nobody move on. 
And she said in the following six months or whatever, that woman's production tripled, like just unbelievable, right? Uh, And then they did the same thing maybe two years later. And that woman said, what do you appreciate? And she was expecting to see personal security listed again. And instead she said, what do you appreciate about, or what do you value in our company? She said that management listens. And she's like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And, uh, that's a pretty extreme example of it, but I, you know, everybody does come in with those, that backpack of experiences that they're carrying in, uh, whether it's, you know, being asked to fill out some spreadsheet that you feel is useless, but it's repeatedly asked of you, you know, and it's like, so if you're introduced to a spreadsheet in a new office, you're thinking, oh, is this going to be the same old routine, right? Exactly. Well, and the, like the woman in the story, right? The employer would have never known. Right. Right. If they didn't ask or they didn't give this opportunity to give feedback in this way that was safe enough for the employee. And that's, that's what I mean by trauma informed is that we, if we don't give the opportunities to our employees to feel safe enough to give us feedback so that we can actually help them because most employers would be glad to make that type of accommodation. And there's also, you know, employees also have to meet us halfway and be doing their own personal work. And, you know, we can't be everything to everyone, but, Typically, employers are more than happy to make a specific accommodation that would literally change that employee's daily experience. But we have to know, and and in order to know, we have to ask. Right, and it that that's an interesting point because I I wonder if you'd gone into that company and asked the direct supervisor of that woman what she like. Oh, constantly distracted, doesn't pay attention, doesn't get a lot. Exactly. She's not very efficient. But you have to ask that deeper question. And that deeper question is, it's not obvious. It's not, you know, the the typical things you put in there. And it only happens when we kind of get away from the, in that situation, it only came about when they got away from the direct tasks associated with the work you're doing and instead of go to like the deeper questions about like, what do you value, which is a wildly open-ended question, you know, <laughs> but luckily this one exposed something. Um but yeah, it just it just absolutely clarified things for me because every one of our employees and every one of our supervisors and every one of our bosses and everybody is is demonstrating their version of what today is with those experiences, right? Yeah, yeah. And and on a great day, maybe they're muted, and on a bad day, they're reminiscent, maybe because of a smell or a sound or a uh, interaction they had, and uh, it just you know, it, it reminded me how also how tough it is to run a great company like all the time. Yeah. It takes work. It takes, it takes hard so much work. work, so much work. Yeah. And really the, the like foundational mindset shift of, mm-hmm. you know, am I trauma informed as a boss? It's really about mm-hmm. the mindset of what happened to that person versus mm-hmm. what's wrong with them. So interesting delineation there. I like in that. Your, in your story, right? If if that direct supervisor had given the feedback, that person might have been fired because they weren't performing, right? So mm-hmm. that mindset is what's wrong with them? Why aren't they performing? Right. Right. Instead of what is going on with this person? 
Mm-hmm. Right? What happened to them? Why are they distracted? Let's dig in. Yeah. The the reason I wanted to talk to you and that I was secretly hoping you would invite me to your podcast to interview you <laughs> is because I've I have a interest right now heavily in patient communication, right? How do we do it? How does it work? And how where does it go awry? And one thing that I recently read in a research article to your point about like what's wrong versus who are they is, you know, again, I'm a chiropractor. So we see mostly people with low back pain and we can set a very bad tone for the relationship. If I describe that person, especially in front of them, but even to my staff as, oh, this is Kendall. She's a low back patient. That's who you are, right? But instead we should say, this is Kendall who right now has some low back pain. It's a person with an injury or with a disease, not a diseased person. And they were saying that, you know, if you have somebody that has multiple bouts of a chronic issue, like a low back pain, right? It's cyclical, comes back, let's say yearly or a couple times a year, a couple, couple times every couple, two years. If you program them enough to say that they are a low back patient, they will therefore agree with you and say, okay, fine. I'll be some, I'm just a low back pain person walking around. And in that we kind of, in some way, rob them of their autonomy to choose the path. Because if they do the right rehab and they are good about their, their doing their own, you know, parts of their homework, whether that's like yoga classes or exercise or whatever, they don't have to be a low back pain or a, a low back pain patient. They can be a patient who previously, you know, had low back pain, but has come away from that. And it's, you see this also in the research around like cancer patients. And they say like the doctors focus so much on the tumor that the patient feels like they are the tumor, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, that, that this is an episode or season of my life. Yeah. And, you know, this is why it's so important how we model for our teams on how we talk about our patients and how we talk about anyone, right, on our team. Um, And on a side note, why mental health care is so important for Mm -hmm. chronic illness and terminal illness. But that's, you know, could be another conversation. Just one more podcast. It would only take one one to describe that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... You know, it's coming back to like, what are the strategies? How do how can we actually be trauma informed? It's like one thing that I really try to practice daily is if I'm is just being very mindful about how I talk about other people, including mm-hmm. patients and our team. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a small group meeting of three people, and we need to discuss someone else on the team, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. disciplinary action or something else, even if it is disciplinary action that we need to plan for, that we are speaking about that person in a respectful manner because Mm -hmm. it's just so easy to get caught in a a trap of gossiping or speaking negatively or why is that person being so difficult? And it's like, we have to remind ourselves again, like, okay, what are they going through? What have they gone through? You know, this behavior is curious. And what am I missing? Like, what's my part mm. in it? And and that's the conversation. And it's then modeled for the 
leadership team that who models that for their smaller teams, who models that, you know, and then they go home to their family. Yeah. So that piece is important. Yeah. Because as soon as, you know, I've had an, enough employees and I've, I've screwed it up. Like, Oh, for sure. <laughs> Me too. Like yeah. that's part of, you know, the learning process, just like with patients, I've screwed up my patient care sometimes, but it provides great learning environment. But I know as soon as your pay, your employees see you talking smack about another employee, they know it's not a safe environment, yep. right? And and therefore, you're going to lose a lot of that uh, possible collaboration because I don't know if you ever read that Google article, but one of the markers of an innovative team is trust, yeah. right? Because if I can go to you and go, Kendall, I know you're talking about uh, revolutionizing mental health and there's a crazy idea, but I think we should you know, we should have a freezer full of popsicles. Just hear me out. If you, if I trust you enough to know you're not going to attack the idea or the person behind the idea that you'll hear it out, we might realize, hey, popsicles aren't the answer, but having some sort of snack in the office does make a huge first impression, right? Right. Or if I can come to you and say, hey, I have this crazy idea, we should blah, blah, blah. Crazy ideas don't flourish in a, in a relationship where there's no trust, Right. And I mean, you see this, like, I see this in my marriage. I see yeah. this in my kids. I see this everywhere. But if I can go to my wife and be like, hey, I know we've already done, always done this for Christmas, but this year I'm thinking about, it's going to sound nuts, Tahiti, you know? And she's like, if she throws it out on its face, I'm not going to go the next year when I'm like, hey, it's, it's not Tahiti, but it's just like Lake Tahoe, which is only like six hours away, right? Like, and it made a huge impact because I also see that with, injuries, physical injuries. I remember hearing this professional athlete that said, I hate going to, you know, providers or physical therapists or chiros or, or whoever that make me feel bad about being injured. Yeah. I was like, very interesting because a professional athlete is always probably going to need care and they have a choice certainly of who they go to, but that feeling of making them feel bad about their injury. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm guilty of that. Like, oh, why did you wait so long? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Because I get paid to not cut, you know, I get paid to be at games and I'm out on the road trying to provide for my family. So, yeah, instead of validating know, how hard that yeah. is for them to make that right. choice to get care. Right. Or, hey, it's, I bet it's so tough to be out on the road when this is nagging you and you just can't find the time to come in. You know, that, that's got to be difficult. Yeah, that validation is huge. That's a great point, Kendall. Yeah. So, do we have a little bit of time? Can I ask you some more questions? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So we've been putting together like a framework of patient communication. Yeah. And in a perfect world, this framework would not care what your license is, right? It would just be like a really good way to collect info or build a relationship. But when you threw out the term uh, trauma-informed, I was like, oh, we don't have a place to plug that into our framework. So does that mean the framework is totally off or... Does it mean that, hey, we're using a synonym? Because that's common in, in, you know, in, in medicine is like we use synonyms for things. In chiropractic, I say I adjust your back and a physical therapist might say I mobilize your back and really we're putting our hands on and pushing and, you know, it feels good. Um, but um, also, you know, where that it seems to me that for you, trauma informed is almost like the water describing water to a fish. Like it's all around. It's in everything you do. Right. Yeah. And so we came up with this five piece framework to always consider it every step of the way with a patient. So think about it. 
everybody does an initial visit, right? You could call it a new patient visit. You could call it your exam. You could call it a pre-op, but it's all initial visit. And then everybody does um, follow-ups, right? Regardless of your license. And then everybody does a discharge or we say discharge or delay, like dentists kind of delay it for six months and delay and delay or discharge. Um, if I said that, are we on the same page? Like, would you agree? Like we're, you yeah, have those visits. I have those visits. Generally, I think in, um, I mean, in the different modalities. So our clinic is multidisciplinary. We definitely mm-hmm. have like pretty different time frames of, you know, that between new, new patient visit and discharge, for mm-hmm. example, for like mental health counseling, it's typically like a longer term ongoing relationship. Yeah. What we're doing. So, but yes, I would we, say in chiropractic, it's like that too. Knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's dental dentistry. For example, it's like you come in, it's a one visit thing and then you're back in six months. Right. Yeah. Whereas I would say like two times a week or three times a week for a chiropractor is not that rare and doing it for multiple weeks, not that rare. And in your world, it's probably not the frequency per week. It's not three times a week, although I'm sure it might, it's possible. But your length of regular visits is very long, right? Yeah. Months, years, yeah. Decades, but we have I'm all sure. that same language. Yeah. And so at that, at each of those visits, if you think about those as like markers along the journey, we, based on the research, we found like five things that we should always consider as providers. So I want to just kind of throw this framework at you and, and you're welcome to poke holes in it. Like it's an Let's ongoing process. Yeah. Um, so we call it the patch P A T C H right patch. Um, and, uh, named after patch Adams because we felt like he was a very empathetic provider. Right. So the patches, the P is honoring the patient's goals. So let me go through them first. And then I'll go back to yeah. like, explaining more about them. But P is patient's goals. A is promoting autonomy. T is tailoring your communication methods and styles to the patient. The C is remembering communication basics. I'd say like eye contact, shaking hands, you know, that kind of stuff. And then H is maintaining humility, Mm -hmm. right? Staying humble. So we go back to P, patient goals. You know, in my world, it's very common if I go, oh, Kendall, let's say that you have knee pain from running. And I might say, okay, after our exam, I determined that we need to increase your ankle dorsiflexion by 17 to 20 degrees on the left side, blah, blah, blah. And that that might be my goal. But your goal is probably, cool, man, I want to run without pain. Right. You know, I want to run without knee pain. And I go, yeah, okay. So that's, that's why we're focusing on dorsiflexion. And it's like, maybe stop and zoom out and be like, Kendall, let me just be clear about what your goal is as a patient. And not term that in medical ease, you know, but term it in the, and then everything I do from that point on cite that as the reason, the reason you're going to do these stretches is to be able to run without pain. The reason you're going to come in is so that you can run without pain. The blah, blah, blah is so you can, uh, is so you can do that without pain. And, it, and I think for me, I would say that understanding your patient's goal and having it written in your chart is as important as knowing the diagnosis. Right. so important and overlooked right i mean would yeah. you agree like you 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 have a lot yeah. of therapists working for you and you interact with a lot of healthcare providers but i think if if you open up every chart in the world like how often is the patient's goal listed in the chart for sure yeah i think charting is something that you know you have the select providers who are just like 
either love it or great at it or they really dive <laughs> in. You know what I mean? And then, I haven't met the ones that love it. <laughs> I haven't met <laughs> yeah. them yet. I know a couple on our team who just love okay. it. And it's, um, you know, it's, it is fascinating. But, uh, you know, majority across the board, it's sort of that thing that you have to do, right, as a healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. And I think um, on our in our clinic, we're partly because we have these couple providers who are so passionate about it as well. Um, you know, treatment planning and charting are, are at the top priority for us. And it's because Mm. of the early years of the clinic of seeing, seeing that go in a way that wasn't supportive because clinicians didn't have the proper training or didn't understand Mm -hmm. how to, how to treatment plan. Right. And how to prioritize that. So, um, it's, it's at the top of the list for us now, but, you know, we definitely, it was a learning curve because as owners, right, we're typically the ones that are already prioritizing something like that as a mm-hmm. provider and assuming that other people are doing it and then realizing that they're not. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What, what in your world in mental health, what's a common uh, treatment goal versus patient goal? What would be? Mm. <laughs> I don't, what's a common goal that your patients come in with? Like, you know, cause I'm sure they say like yeah. the symptoms of it, like I'm arguing with my wife all the time, but that exactly, I was going to say, it's usually a lack relational. of arguments, probably not the true goal, I guess is the way. Right. So, you know, they'll have like a relational complaint, right? Like I'm arguing with my partner or my partner is doing this thing that's causing problems. Right. Um, But as a practitioner, we might see that as, okay, we can clearly see that they're struggling with symptoms of anxiety and depression. And so our goal would be to, you know, lessen anxiety and depression and give them tools to do that and and work through the trauma thread that is leading to the adult experience that, that they're having in relationship, that they're having a problem most mm-hmm. likely stems from a past trauma. And so the mm-hmm. anxiety and depression isn't even the root, right? They're symptoms. So then we take it back and find the root. So the practitioner goal uh, would be more along those lines of, okay, we're going to, of course, build rapport and do all the things and work our way until we get to the root. And the patient's goal that they're stating is, you know, I just, I want my partner to, to, stop doing this thing that's causing so many problems or I want to stop arguing. Right. Yeah. So, okay, this is great. And I, I, again, I really love the feedback from a totally different set of, um, uh, different license, different eyes, different ears. Um, that's one thing we don't, I guess we listen verbally to our patients in chiropractic in the initial interview, but we use our hands. My hands are like your ears, right? That's yeah. where all the <laughs> yeah, for sure. inputs coming. Yeah. So moving on to autonomy, um, one thing that is very important and is cited in the, the research is sh- what they call SDM, shared decision-making, right? Allowing that patient to contribute to their, to their health plan, even so far as to say, I'm not doing that, or I am willing to do that. And an extreme example I always use when I'm talking about this is think about hospice, right? You're, you're choosing or your family is choosing to forego any further medical care, right? Because that doesn't, now the medical care doesn't outweigh the human benefits that we, we want to see of just spending time together and, and not suffering anymore. But 
it's important at every stage. So for me as a chiropractor, like giving, um, it's very common for me to give uh, home exercise as part of the plan, right? But I learned to to ask, like, let me ask you this. I want to give you some exercises. Are you the type of person that's willing to get on the ground, right? Yep. And do exercises. Are you the type of person who is willing to do this a few times a week? Or would you rather come in the office to do them here? And I started asking that. And like three months in, I had two experiences that just blew my mind. One was a woman who said, um, hey, I'll do it as much as you as you want, but I really want to do stuff on the ground. And I was like, okay, okay. this is just a very interesting response. And she said, because I have a young baby at home and I just love spending time on the ground with her. Yeah. So if I was able to do my exercise and interact, that'd be the best. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like a- talk about anchoring behavior to what you what you enjoy, right? And the same regard, I had another woman who was like, um, I would describe this woman as a very well put together executive for a uh, I live in Las Vegas, so there's like casinos here. So high, yeah. uh, oh, you high don't level say. Executive. Are there casinos yeah. there? There are, yeah. Um, uh, but I said, I said the same thing. Are you willing to get on the ground? How often? You said, listen, I'm so busy. I will not do it on my own at home. But if I make an appointment with you five days a week, I'll come in and do it. And I was like, you know, here in, in so much in healthcare, we're like we sometimes have this idea like, Oh, we, you know, we don't want to ask them to come in too much. And she's like, no, I want that. Right. And then she said, I'm, and just so you know, I'm not getting on the ground here, there, or anywhere. <laughs> so show me stuff. <laughs> just that's, that, just that's it. Yeah. But yeah. why, why add that friction? Right. But just allowing her to give some input ended up with a much better customer for my business side of things. And somebody that's very involved in her own care, which is do the stuff every day. Um, what are some places you recognize like it might be good to involve autonomy or where is it well known in your practice that you do that? Yeah. Well, our clinic is multidisciplinary. So Mm -hmm. for any new listeners, so we have mental health, acupuncture, naturopathic medicine, massage, uh, nutrition. Uh, We've expanded into doing uh, some holistic aesthetics and things like that. Sauna, IV, um, therapies. When so, you say multidisciplinary, the range you have under your roof is quite extensive. I think most of the time it's like multidisciplinary, but it's a Cairo PT and a pain management. I'll focus on pain, right? Sure, and it's sure. like you are all across. Yeah. It's great. We are multidisciplinary. So yeah. um, with the common goal of treating a lot of chronic illness and a lot of trauma. So, mm-hmm. but foundationally, the way we work is we call it collaborative healthcare. And what mm-hmm. that means to us is, yeah, we collaborate with each other on behalf of patients, but we also collaborate with the patient. And so it is foundationally how every single provider on our team works is to first see that patient as a whole person. And, you know, even our esthetician is... We have questions regarding mental health on our intake form. We have questions mm-hmm. regarding nutrition, right? Uh, across the board, doesn't matter what modality it is. We're asked, we're looking at them as a whole person, and we're involving them in their treatment plan. So, you know, and we always think about like, okay, if I'm going to ask my patient to do this, is this something I would even do? You know, like so. One of our great question. Top- core values in our company is walk the walk. 
Mm-hmm. Are like we're over here preaching health. Are we? And it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in our health all the time. It means that mm-hmm. we are prioritizing that and doing that daily self-reflection and taking care of ourselves so that we can show up the best we can for our patients mm. and our team. And But the collaboration piece is super important between patient and provider that if we're going to ask them to do something at home or we're going to ask them to go take, you know, 10 supplements, the first question is, how does this work within your lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does this feel manageable? And let's, let's, you know, form it in a way that it does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a great, great example. One, one rule we have in our rehab programs is you can never give an exercise you haven't performed yourself. Yeah. Because sometimes just the setup of things is so different. Or I don't know if you ever use like a mini band. It's like a small band that goes kind yeah. of around your knees. Yep. Yep. If you've ever put those on and, uh, uh, for guys, especially like they're hair pullers. And if you don't realize like why you don't just yank them up, you just need one session of it, you know, and a pair of shorts and you realize, okay, next time I talk my patient through, like, I'm going to show them how to put it on comfortably, you know, things like that where, uh, because there's just sometimes where there's exercises where the setup is really difficult or you need special language or the, you know, performing it is counterintuitive to what most people do. So, we, we have that role, but I like, I like that for you. We'll stop there for today, but stay tuned next week for part two. And then we'll continue on with part three after that. And Josh and I will continue our conversation. Happy creating. Thanks so much for listening to the wellness center creators podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please visit our website at wellnesscentercreators.com for more show notes and additional episodes. By the way, I love hearing from listeners. Please send me an email at Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L at wellnesscentercreators.com with your feedback. And if you send me a question, maybe I'll read it on the show anonymously, of course. Thanks so much again for listening and we'll catch you next time on the Wellness Center Creators Podcast.